Today's TribCast is presented by Pearson. Great educators inspire great stories. Find out more at pearsoned.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Hello, this is Chris Hayes of MSNBC's All In with Chris Hayes, week nine's at eight. Well, 2016 is coming to a close, and I suppose the best thing that can be said about this year is that like every other year in the universe's history, it will ultimately end. Hopefully not in some kind of nuclear conflagration over the South China Sea. But here's to hoping we get through it. That just about does it, I guess. Anyway, enjoy this week's TribCast, and now here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, Chris. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the final TribCast of 2016. I'm joined by smirking CEO Evan Smith. Do you address all of our people who do intros by name, or are you just when like, I remember who they are? Sweet on Chris Hayes. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely sweet on Chris Hayes, but you know, it's it's very rare that somebody I actually tweet recall. that right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, come on, get off your phones. Political reporter Sorry. Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. He's on MapQuest. He's driving yeah. to Fort Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, it's true. 19 hours later. And political editor, Aman Bathija. I want to hear more about Evan's Japanese knives. They're good knives. <laughs> no, they're seriously good knives. They're like super sharp and they're a little bit scary to look at. And you're going to will them like to Evan. your kids. All my children will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit sharp and scary to look at. Good one. Thanks. I try. Uh, all right, well, so I'm going to get you during this podcast. <laughs> all right. You work on that. Uh, if you are tuning in on Facebook, a reminder that you can send questions our way, um, and maybe these two will get off their phones fast enough to answer them. Failed. Uh, all right. Uh, well, we're right. here. You're stuck with the four of us because everyone else on our staff is already on vacation. Uh, let's start with the news that is um, making Evan's head explode because the traffic on our site is exploding. And uh, that is after um, more than a year of delay, the state is now officially kicking Planned Parenthood out of the Medicaid program. Uh, I mean, what do we know about why this took as long as it did and sort of, you know, what happens from here? Anyone? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm honestly mystified why it took as long as it did, because it was a threat that was made very clearly and provocatively. And it is unlike the people who run this state to make provocative and clear threats and then not to follow up on them. <laughs> and we pointed out and others pointed out over the last year, hey, remember that kicking Planned Parenthood out of Medicaid thing? My assumption was that they had discovered that they couldn't do it. And that that's what it was. And that the reason they weren't talking about it was that they had egg on their face. Well, a lot of the so original... I'm quite honestly a little surprised now. That it's taken as long that, as it did? Well, no, no, that they're doing it because I had written off the possibility of them doing it. I thought it was chest puffery with nothing behind it, but well, it turns a, out that there is something. A lot of the original threat was tied to the uh, those videos that were released online of undercover yeah. Planned Parenthood workers uh, and debunked. The, the, right, the, the alleged, you know, allegedly all that alleged stuff. Right, and uh, it seemed like over the months there <laughs> there wasn't a lot there there that they were finding that seemed actionable. Right. Well, I I think you know what a lot of this came down to. I mean, in October, Abbott basically came out and said, you know sort of what's taking so long. But, you know, I mean, I, the big question is whether any of this can hold up in court and I guess what it means under a new administration. I mean, it was my understanding that in other states where this has happened, you know, Medicaid is a joint state federal program. It's a nine to one federal match. These are largely federal dollars. Well, in fact, when I was tweeting about Alexa's story last night, I typed the words Medicaid program and I thought, hold on. And I went back and looked at the story a second time and I thought, can they really 
throw Planned Parenthood out of what is largely a federal program. Well, this has been tangled up in the courts in other states. But and don't you assume that they vetted that question themselves? Like they must have. Oh, oh, I mean, well, nothing, you know, what has held up in a court of law or not has not stopped Texas from doing anything like this in the yeah. past. I mean, they consider another fight in the courts over this, which they're going to get, you know, sort of par for the course and, and they're up for the challenge again. But it's my understanding that in other states, actually, this has not held up because, again, this is a federal program. You know, even though the money comes through the state, so. Yeah, and who knows? <laughs> you, you mentioned a new administration. I don't. I don't think this will be a high priority for uh, President-elect Donald Trump in his first 100 days. I don't think he's shown much interest right. in I dealing mean, with this issue. In the Obama, under the Obama administration, they've basically said to states, you know, hey, hold on, you can't kick providers out. Well, the new Secretary of Health and Human Services, and presumably the new person who runs, what is the. Uh, governing body over Medicaid. It's oh, CMS. CMS, yeah. yeah. These are going to be people of an ideological sort different from the ones currently in the job. Can we agree on that? Sure, And yeah. so probably there's sympathy in Washington, if not an enormous amount of zeal. Mm-hmm. You know, the federal government will at least retweet Texas, if not actually, <laughs> right. right? Right. I guess the question is how fast, you know, Texas, how fast opponents of this can get it through the so courts. So Char- Charles Schwartner, the senator from Georgetown, has a bill I know at least Charles Schwartner, I'm going to say, maybe others have bills like this, and there may be a companion bill in the House that deals with the question of, um, it's the pre-born, what is it called, the pre-born uh, something act. It's like the pre-born dignity act, I think. And I noticed within there that there was something about the Planned Parenthood, it was a sort of, it seemed like a direct reference to the controversy over those Planned Parenthood videos. So right. this is not an issue that is not a live issue in Texas, it is an issue that is still of firing people up and fueling legislative discussions and what have you, and I suspect we'll be hearing more about it. Didn't Trump at some point praise Planned Parenthood for the oh, I guarantee for the non-abortion been, services? I guarantee you he's been a donor. Well, no, I mean in the last like six months. I thought he praised Planned Parenthood during the for, campaign for the stuff that they they did that wasn't related I, to abortion. I would not be surprised. I think that's yeah. right, and you know, again, what we're talking about here, just just to be clear, you know, while this is over abortion in theory, the services that that Planned Parenthood is providing through Medicaid are not abortion services in any way, shape, or form. Well, this is where there, you get into a fight with cancer people, screenings. One, where one one gets into a fight with people over the question of Planned Parenthood's allocation of its efforts. You know, the statistic that was thrown around by the pro-choice side during the last fight over this was that only 3% of the services provided by Planned Parenthood relate to reproductive, I believe that's right, 3%, re- re- that, that there's a lot that is just basically health, you know, preventive, you know, a, a cancer screening. All right. That kind of I mean, this is $3.1 million that was going toward everything yeah. but abortions that is now going to be reduced to $0 in 30 days. Now, you know, I, again, I, I do think we're going to see litigation almost instantly. There could be a restraining order that prevents the cutoff of these funds, you know, um, so I, I expect that the next move is obviously going to be litigation in this case. Yeah. But so big, big picture. It's been interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, as we kind of reflect on this here, it's been interesting to see Texas's abortion battles pretty much shift entirely from the legislature to the courts. I mean, there's always always been happening in both of them a little bit, but it doesn't seem like there are any hot button legislative issues on on this. Next next session, I'm sure there'll be some bills that are filed. Some, obviously, anti-abortion groups. I'm I sure will have some been, proposals. There, there have been filed. Yeah, but it seems like the the courts now are the a, a, almost a, a, a theory that I have that I can't prove, and I just is something I, I sort of suspect is the case. Is that in the end, this is going to be better for Planned Parenthood? 
And the reason is the outrage, this is like Vanity Fair. Trump tweets negative things about Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair has its most successful day of subscriptions in the history of the magazine. True fact. Mm -hmm. um, I think that actually the outrage over this among those sympathetic to Planned Parenthood will generate dollars in excess for Planned Parenthood of what would have come from, I mean, if what you're talking about is a couple right. million dollars. And that the long-term strategy of a Planned Parenthood may be to separate itself as much from what could very well be hostile governments. Government funding. Right. And that their future may be better insured by not being beholden to or tethered in any way to a government like the government of the state of Texas, which is going to do what yeah. it does. I mean, it just depends. It depends on how long the attention lasts. You know, I mean, it's it's good for them while they can draw in all these high profile, you know, big donations and keep it in the spotlight. But what happens when it's not in the spotlight? Well, anymore? and if other states follow suit, that could be a major hit to their budget that they can't replace with donors. Mm -hmm. All right, well, you yeah. know, a reminder if you're watching online that you can send questions our way. Let's uh, move on to the um, cupcake fight that is brewing in Trump Tower, and that is that— I don't know who Susan Combs has said worse things about over her years in, in public life, Sid Miller or Donald Trump. Right, so <laughs> walk us through. So who are the two Texans who are, you know, potentially being considered for Trump's ag secretary, and what is their storied history with each other? Well, the, the, the one that we've known about for a while uh, is Sid Miller, the current agriculture commissioner. Um, he was a you know vocal Trump supporter during the general election. He was on Trump's agricultural advisory committee, got a lot of national attention at the end of the general election for the C-word tweet appearing on his Twitter account. Go and ahead. Trump's a big fan of his Cupcake. hat. Cupcake. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Was that yeah. the C word? Totally. Cupcake. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other name that's kind of surfaced in, in recent days is Susan Combs, former comptroller and one of Sid Miller's predecessors at the Department of Agriculture as commissioner. Um, and a woman. That too. <laughs> well, you look, you look at that Trump cabinet. Sure, yeah, that's to be a consideration for them. Um, yeah, they need at least one. Eight got many. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's a lot of dudes in that cabinet. White dudes. So Combs met uh, Tuesday in, in Washington with uh, Vice President-elect Mike Pence, and that kind of is beginning to fuel the speculation she's a contender for uh, agriculture secretaries, which is one of the few remaining posts, cabinet posts that Trump has yet to fill. I think it's also that and VA secretary, mm -hmm. um, which is you know going to be an important one for him as well, given the promises he made during the campaign. And so we have these two Texans now who are at the kind of center of the Trump cabinet speculation game. Um, they have their own history, as we noted this morning. Um, they've had some disagreements agreements about the direction of the Department of Agriculture, having both led it, one of them currently leading it. Um, I don't know all the details on the cupcake dispute. Oh, Amon, please following it fill this us morning. in. Well, the first act, Sid Miller's first official act as agriculture commissioner was to grant, to have a press conference to grant amnesty to cupcakes. And he held a cupcake up standing behind a podium and national state press national press everyone ate it up no pun intended, pun intended. Um, <laughs> come on let the pun be intended. good one Amon. <laughs> and uh he claimed that he was rescinding uh something that susan combs had put into place that banned cupcakes from schools and then susan combs fought back and said i never did that uh that i tweaked a policy that was a federal policy and that cup it, it kind of tangentially involved cupcakes, but cupcakes were still allowed in schools, so you're just wrong. And so they fought back and forth a little bit. And so now that they're after the same job, that's just amazing. Well, Susan Combs also has a new book out where she, there's like a whole chapter devoted to Sid, you know, squabbling with Sid Miller. <laughs> may, may I do a dramatic reading? Yes, please do a dramatic this reading. This is the uh, Who are you? I, yes. a town hall blog, yeah. not a book bark for me. I was, I was hoping you were going to read from uh, Susan Combs' first book. The Dirty, the dirty <laughs> Romance? It's a bodice ripper. 
That was and she, Don't call did she it write a dirty it under a, did she write it under a, a pseudonym? I forget. Yes, she did write it under a pseudonym. It was like Lacey Underalls or something like that. <laughs> okay. That, that was that's actually from Caddyshack. Uh, hold on. So this is um this is uh, Susan Combs writing on the Town Hall blog on September 18th. This is not September 18th. You know, oh, it's September 18, 2015. So this is basically right. a year More prior. than a year okay. ago. So here's Susan Combs. Um, as a longtime advocate for transparency in government, I would offer that a series of dishonest acts by supposedly trustworthy government officials has caused otherwise rational people, and she has in parentheses, good conservative Americans, to lose their dang minds. And then she has in parentheses, consider voting for Donald Trump. So that's the first thing she said, was that people who vote for Donald Trump lose their damn dang minds. Um, here she talks about how yelling and Trump-style bullying aren't the real solution. And then she goes on and on. And the best part of it is the current Republican frontrunner, by which she means Donald Trump, doesn't meet the minimum essential standards of conservative leadership. So This was September 2015. September 2015. So this is yet another instance of somebody who, like Rick Perry, oh. calling Donald Trump a cancer on conservatism, is doing a total 180 on what they said about the person for whom they may very well, in Perry's case, will, in her case, may very well work. I mean, I guess, is this like a big joke by Donald Trump? You know, bring in, he's going to bring in a <coughs> woman who's, you know, crapped all over him and a guy who, you know, you know next he's going to make Al Alec Baldwin VA secretary. I mean, come on, you know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, seriously, is this, you know, what what's the play here? I, I doubt that Susan Combs's criticisms of him elevated to the level that I mean they're not as bad as Rick Perry. Yeah, and they weren't. As, they didn't draw enough attention. I mean, she she wasn't. A, yeah. she wasn't an statewide official then. She was no. She, but she was Team Carly, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. she was oh, actually sure. a chair or co-chair of Carly Fiorina's mm -hmm. campaign in Texas, and then she endorsed Marco Rubio once Carly Fiorina got out of the race. And as far as I'm concerned, never as I know, I don't think she ever did. She endorsed Trump. She never formally endorsed Trump she by way of a statement. Vote for him. Said she would vote for him. I believe she attended on one of his panel. fundraisers in Texas during the general election. Did she go to the headliners deal. Later? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the one in San Antonio. Um, Maybe Sid Miller so was there. So she could say she was supportive during the general election, but certainly a, a huge contrast with Miller, who by the end of the campaign was all in. You know, yeah. flooding social media with these pro-Trump messages, and um, you know, say getting... Miller in social media again, <laughs> right. Patrick. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and, it's and, an early Christmas present. And Combs has this booster in uh, a Midland Republican in Congress, Mike Conaway, who is chair of the House Agriculture Committee and True. is really, really pushing for her and. That I mean, that might get her more attention, might get her into Trump Tower for an interview, but it's not clear Trump actually is interested in her. Oh, it yeah. isn't? I mean, I, I mean, I thought that there was some, isn't there a pretty clear indication that she's on a short list? I, I mean, I think Mike Conaway has been really oh, talking. pushing for her. Pushing yeah. for her. I mean, That's, do you think either of them have a good shot? I think Susan Combs strikes me Oh, yeah, no, I'm not I'm saying Susan Combs strikes sure. me as a plausible, per perfect. Absolutely. I mean, leaving aside no. her criticism oh, yeah. of Trump, she's sure. perfectly plausible. Family, oh, sure. ranching history. Absolutely. I mean, she she, she checks, yeah, she yeah. checks all the boxes. And longer than Sid two, Miller has only been. Only has yeah. two women in the cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. And we always, I think people always expected that Trump wouldn't really get around to this position until the end of December, even after the holidays. Right. So there, there, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be much more to come as far as the speculation. But not a ton of names have come up for this position. Right. Well, well, Heidi Heitkamp, the senator from, yeah. who's a Democrat, right? South, one what of the was Dakota. Brady doing there? Who? I mean, wasn't Kevin Brady? Kevin Brady is chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. There's no chance that Kevin Brady is being. Yeah, he was meeting job, with Pence. Right? Uh, he said, I think, in a readout after the meeting, he said it was about you know tax reform. I mean, I imagine that's going to be one of the administration's. Brady top has a, a more powerful position, weirdly, as chair of House Ways and Means yeah. than he would as a cabinet secretary. Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. 
All right, well, moving on to more uh, Trump news in Texas. The Center for Public Integrity had a scoop this week that touched on Texas. Basically, they reported that a Texas-based nonprofit led by Trump's sons was offering access to Trump during inauguration weekend in return for, you know, million-dollar donations to certain charities. What, what is the de- what's the deal and sort of where did the story end up? Well, I think it got a lot of attention because it's it's another example of how Trump is trying to balance his business interests with his impending presidency or failing to balance in some ways. He's had to backtrack on a few of these different uh, revelations that have, have come out. Yesterday, the Trump campaign put out a statement basically distancing themselves from this event, saying that, um, I don't know the exact language, but putting some considerable distance between themselves in the event and saying that the two Trump sons are, are not going to be involved or have not been involved. Um, but... You look at the players who are involved in this, um, Gentry Beach and, and uh, Tommy Hicks, Hicks Jr., um, those are friends of the Trump sons, or at least one of the Trump sons. They've been like they involved in the Trump rogue. campaign fundraising operation for quite some time now. Uh, there would have to be a lot of coincidences, I think, for this not to Tommy be. Tommy Hicks was, one, was you know, uh, spotted at Trump Tower over the last couple of exactly, years. Exactly, yeah. So you were supposed to like, while, win so. some hunting and fishing weekend, yeah. right? Well, and they were listed on the, in the Texas Secretary of the State. The sons were. Yeah, the sons were. They've now, I, I believe they've asked well, to they, have their they names cl- removed. They claim that they were associated with this accidentally, which... How does that happen? Well, I mean, again, there'd have to be yeah. a lot of coincidences for that to be the case. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And so do we know, I mean, do we know anything about the donors to this so far? Do we know anything about, and it's it was conservation groups that were going to be, yeah. you know. What, Beneficiaries of this right. thing. I first read it and thought it said conservative groups. And then I was like, wait, conservation yeah. groups? What? I mean, I don't think they have to release much about their finances, so we haven't heard much yeah. really beyond that. We, we, Don Trump Jr. likes to hunt in Texas. He was in the Valley, according to his Instagram, uh, a few weeks ago. So You follow Don Trump Jr. on of Instagram? Of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, oh, we learned yeah. a lot. It's the next first family. We learned a lot about Svitek's <laughs> media habits, social media habits at the re- editorial retreat last week. And what did he, t- what did he talk about? I didn't talk about who I follow on Instagram. No. Do you encourage you all to yeah. follow, like, Pusha T on Instagram or something? Is this like a hip-hop thing? I, I don't want to give away any of Patrick's yeah. deep, dark <laughs> secrets to his competition. His, who's his competition? It was an off-the-record Rosenthal? session. Rosenthal? Yeah. How he, many Trimcasts does Rosenthal come up in? He's, They're he's, roommates, not competitors. He's, this is pay-for-play, baby. He's paying me. <laughs> <laughs> Rosenthal is paying me. I get paid by the mention of Brian Rosenthal. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, any more to tell us about this story, or should we move on? I well, we should... uh, the, the backtracking, <laughs> I think... Oh. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Evan, no, no, yes. Follow somebody on Instagram while I'm talking. The, 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 the backtracking, the quick backtracking of this tells you something. I think the yeah. CPI story published on whatever day it was, and then within 24 hours. Right. Well, what I loved was <laughs> the CPI story happens, and then all of a sudden, who shows up to jump in on the reporting of the story? David Farenthold. <laughs> yeah. If David Farenthold crawls up your ass, you got problems with this, right? <laughs> and so David Farenthold shows up, and then all of a sudden it's like, womp. Yeah. And then within 24 hours, they backed off. The, the, the Trump conflict stuff has not gotten resolved to the satisfaction of the kinds of people who judge these things. And um, what's interesting about this case, I think, is that it's not outlandish or extreme in view of what we've heard over the last couple of months. It's entirely consistent, right? Right. So. The fact that it was in Texas caught our attention, but the fact that it was happening at all was not especially 
newsworthy, right, relative to a lot of other things that's gone on. Sure. You know, this is a very, very low bar, but the fact that they've been caught in a few of these alleged conflict of interest uh, instances yeah. in the past few days, past few weeks, and they've actually backtracked and adjusted, uh, it's kind of encouraging. You know, it shows Ava- they're actually Ava- learning. Ivanka's <laughs> jewelry, you know, the, the idea that we're going to coffee yeah. with Ivanka. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, which I think is going to be the really continuing and interesting story of this period is going to be all the foreign governments and yeah. foreign entities well, that decide latest... to do events at the Trump Hotel yep. as well, opposed to other hotels. Yeah. And the latest Rex Tillerson, speaking of another Texan, the latest Rex Tillerson news this past week about, you know, his his, his offshore, you know, oil relationships. So director in a Russian oil company or Russian right. partnership I mean, or something. Right? It, yeah. Given what we know about Russia's relationship, Russia's involvement in our election, I mean, is, is he going to get confirmed? He got a big step forward yesterday, Tom Cotton, who is not, I don't believe he's on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee who has jurisdiction over this mm-hmm. nomination, but Tom Cotton, who's a pretty high-profile Russia hawk in Congress, gave him his support after, I think, initially withholding it. They mm-hmm. had a, The two of them had a meeting yesterday, and after it, Cotton said that he uh, would support him. He was on board. So. All right, well, let's talk for a couple of minutes about uh, a ton of attention that the Texas electors uh, got this week. Uh, these folks um, officially voted uh, this week to send Trump to the White House. Why was Texas watched so closely? I mean, we, we streamed it on Facebook, and, yeah. you know, similar to the weekly Tribcast, it had about 250,000 people. Right. That many people right. listening yeah. right now. <laughs> right. Um, you know, what was the... What was the intrigue? Why was Texas at the top of the list for so many people tuning in? Sure. Well, there was uh, Texas was the only state where ahead of time one of the electors had pledged, one of the Republican electors had pledged to oppose Trump. Um, So that's why I think there was a lot of attention going into it. And not only do we believe that that one elector ended up opposing Trump in the actual vote, but another elector um, who hasn't been formally identified uh, ended up voting against Trump as well and voting instead for Ron Paul. Hmm. Um, And so that was, you know, we had a headline going into it. We had two headlines going out of it. Um, Then in addition to that, we had... My favorite kind of news. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to that, four electors uh, had to resign ahead of the meeting. One of them we knew was going to resign over concerns about Trump. Those three others resigned over what we were told were eligibility issues. Um, Not as, you know, not as... um, interesting as over Trump, but, you know, still some interesting movement there. They, the, all four of those electors, uh, we believe, were ended up being replaced by pro-Trump's uh, people, mm-hmm. so it didn't make a difference in the, the actual outcome. Um, but, you know, this is all secret ballot, and so we don't, you know, we will never know for sure how each of these electors voted. Again, we know this one guy announced ahead of time he planned to vote for... So what, what was with Abbott saying... Yeah. Uh, uh, you're fired. <laughs> you're the guy who already fired. resigned. What was going on there? That was so bizarre. It was so very out of, Abbott tweeted, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it, Abbott, <laughs> Let's this, back up a little bit. Yeah, right. Just to be clear. <laughs> Abbott tweeted, you're fired to one of, about one Chris of the electors. Chris Supran, who was the right. elector who had uh, gained a lot of uh, attention for announcing ahead of time you would oppose Trump and instead vote for, for Kasich, and we believe he followed through on and that. And he, he tweeted it notably from his personal account, not the governor's account. Yeah. And it was a day later, after the Electoral College vote had happened, he tweeted, you're fired. So it's, what was he firing for? Him for? He had already resigned from his Dallas County. Yeah, it was. It's a little unclear. I think Abbott was just being a little tongue in cheek. Yeah, I this think it was is a, bit a Trump of a, joke, right? Awkward joke in some ways. I, um, maybe he thought he tweeted it, <laughs> but he wasn't in Wi-Fi 24 hours before, and then he got into Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> so it that's, appeared that I'm he sure that's it. what yeah. happened. I mean, this is a very you know, 
I don't even know if this much strategy went into it, but this is a very easy way to score points with what the Republican base currently looks like. I want to go back like to what John going and Tyler said at our event. Greg Abbott tweets yeah. like Dan Patrick and governs like Joe Strauss. Well, except now he tweets like Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, were there was Texas the state that sort of pushed pushed the country over the limit? I mean, by some know, counts, yeah. I mean, as far as some publications that were keeping track of the timeline, I believe it did. It was decisive. Well, as soon as the, as soon as the Texas vote happened, uh, the Associated Press and Politico both announced Trump had gone over 270. So it's believed that, yeah, Texas, just by, you know, circumstance of time, yes, it, Texas put uh, Trump over the edge. And what was fascinating was that more electors nationwide switched from Hillary Clinton than defected from Trump. And yeah. I believe, was Texas the only one that had defectors from Trump? I believe so, the two defectors from Trump. So. And then I... I I'm, the whole thing is so weird. And I think so, Clinton had five to ten. So what about this bill that's going to attempt to bind electors to the votes? Right. Sure, yeah. So currently in, in 29 states, I believe, and this is either regulated by the by state statute or per, perhaps by the rules of the party, um, you know, it is against the law or you could be punished for going against the uh statewide popular vote in your state. So if your state votes for Donald Trump and you're a Republican elector, when you meet after the election, you have to vote for Donald Trump or you get a civil fine. Like in some states, like $1,000. I think some of the proposals here in Texas would make a $5,000 fine. And so um, ahead of the Electoral College vote, a, a House bill was filed in Texas to, to propose a law like that. And then just today, a Senate bill, uh, I believe, was filed by Don Buckingham. Don Buckingham mm -hmm. um, it's amazing to me that this is not governed at the federal level. I mean, yeah, I don't know the exact is, reason there. I'm sure there is one. that this could be a state-by-state state thing. I mean, you know, it all feeds into the National Electoral College. I think it may have to go back to the fact that the Electoral College um, meetings are administered by state mm. secretary of state's offices, I believe. Uh. Um, there's no federal uh, – it is a federal body <laughs> geographically, but right. there's no federal body, I think, that regulates the, the Electoral College. I think it's administered through the states. You've had to become an electoral college expert. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it. All right, one more uh, question I want to ask about, and that is our colleague Abby Livingston had a story this week where she effectively um, polled all Texans in Congress about Trump's border wall plans. Uh, what did she find? Anything surprising? She could not find a single member of Congress who would say, I believe we need a border wall across the entire border. She got- How uh, many of them, I mean, what percentage of them did she actually track down? Um, I believe she got uh, approximately 20, Two or twenty-three of thirty-eight, but um, I mean, since the story, others would not respond. But um, since not the story, responding is a response, I'm yeah, exactly. Right. And I mean, and, and she yeah. gave all of them multiple times, yeah. and she made clear we were going to say if this is, wasn't just you know we're trying to get some voices from Congress, we're, we're asking just, everyone, and we're going right. to say what everyone gave us. And right. uh, some of them would say, you know, I want um, a virtual wall, I want a fencing in some places or a barrier in some places. But none, none would say they believe a wall should be across the entire uh, border. And Pete Sessions gave my favorite answer. He says he believes uh, Trump's calls for a border wall was meant as an analogy. Right. Pete Sessions wants a wall with, yeah. between Dallas and Fort Worth. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get every Texas Republican lawmaker on the record, if you do get them on the record about this, they just selectively interpret what Trump right, said. Right. Exactly. Everyone, yeah. including Trump supporters, interpreted this to be a wall from you know physical. the entirety of the yeah. border, mm -hmm. a physical barrier. I don't think there's anyone, there were no people who were 
were cheering in the Trump rally crowds saying, yeah, I want it in like right. maybe in urban areas. <laughs> no, I think well, it was right. they wanted it for the entire well, and it's parts of a wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some of them just covered by drones. That counts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah. I don't think it's too much of a surprise. You know, it's great to see them all, you know, all in one place now, like Abby uh, organized it. Um, Speaking of, Abby yeah. is just calling. Come on. She must have a big scoop yeah. about the remaining is, eight members. Yeah. Is you 2 your ringtone? No. no, that's one of the, isn't that one of the? That's one of the, the ones that came with the phone. It did sound a little Not that there's anything wrong with the U2 ringtone. It sounded <laughs> anthemic. I'm to fight you to death over that. It sounded a little anthemic for your Patrick, taste. Patrick is appealing to his base just now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, were you in the middle of a sentence? No, I'm yeah, just probably not. <laughs> gonna get up and change my ringtone. He is. I know. He still hasn't found what he's looking for. <laughs> oh, good one, Evan. <laughs> All right. Well, Patrick uh, has mentioned he'd like to make some recommendations for 2017. Recommendations. I thought it was predictions. Oh, predictions. Oh, predictions. <laughs> recommendations. Yeah. Go to Home Slice. The sorry. pizza's great. <laughs> yeah, right. Is that a recommendation? <laughs> Drive to Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, predictions. What are your, Patrick, what personally are you? Oh, am I the only one who's doing predictions? I thought we were all going to go around. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw one in after you. Go. I want to start with you. Okay. Predictions for 20- <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can choose topics. Let's see. Um, sports. <laughs> what are your what is your, I, I can't believe he didn't prepare anything. <laughs> I never got idea. a sign off on this. I'll, I'll <laughs> make a bold one just, just to start some, some, uh, some discussion. I predict that by the end of next year, Ted Cruz will not. There will be no credible primary challenger to Ted Cruz. Mm. I, I, I second. I second. That. By the end of next sure. year. Yeah. Yes. No Trump cabinet wrong? nominees. No Trump cabinet nominees will be uh, dinged. You mean rejected by the every single okay. one of his sure. nominees yeah. gets approved. You guys, these are pretty easy predictions. <laughs> like, let's. Could we please make some really bold ones? Northwestern will not win the national championship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want some um, like. What about legislative predictions? By the way, neither will NYU. Right. Fancy pants. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to predict that no transgender bathroom bill will pass. That was bold. I think Texas... Mm, not that bold. I think Texas will end up suing the federal government several times next year. <laughs> That's muscle, awesome. Ken Paxton muscle memory? Is that what right. it is? Right, yeah. I, uh, I predict... This well, is, under Trump. This is the no lamest episode of the McLaughlin yeah. Group ever. Okay. This is why none of us responded to your. I, I predict. Oh I predict the bathroom. The, the bathroom legislation will pass, but I predict beforehand, Greg Abbott will be politically backed into a corner where he has to voice explicit support for it, for some kind of bathroom related so, legislation. So you, you guys are in disagreement. Wait, you said it is going to pass. No, it won't pass. Oh, but in oh, terms right. of the, yeah. the process of getting there. I think it will become as, as cacophonous of an issue that, um, for example, someone like Greg Abbott can't maintain his current position on it, which is kind of like wishing. All right, washing. what's going to happen with school vouchers? It'll, no, no bill. No bill. It'll fail in the House again. I, I agree. <laughs> All right. Any other topics in which we want to make? just spitballing here? It's just like, look yes, to your sure. left, look to your right. One of you will be dead by the end of next year. Right. Is that what we're doing? Who else? Right. Who else? Um, Will Evan Smith work here at the end of the <laughs> God, I hope not. I'm not sure I'm going to be working here at the end of the podcast. All right. If, if, and let, does anyone else – how many Texans are we going to have in the cabinet? Two. Two, I'd say. Yeah. So no act secretary? Neither, no neither act Combs, secretary? neither, neither yeah, Combs nor Miller. Yeah, we'll, we'll – yeah. I'm going to give it to one of them. 
some nobody has made anything bordering on. As I've said, I feel like we are still relatively early in the ag secretary uh, speculation phase, so there could still be Rex. We all thought you know someone like Mitt Romney was going to be Secretary of State, and then Rex Tillerson. Well, you came did, out of- uh, guys. Some some people on Facebook are calling our predictions lame, and I have to, I have to agree with you, them. You, you can't tell, but I'm actually commenting. Right. Ask, them what, ask them what they want us to predict. Yeah. Right. How long will it take you to get to Indiana? Yeah. Predict that. Uh, yes. Depends on snow. Yeah. 18 hours. All right. 18 and a half hours. Well, any more bold predictions before we call it? We close oh 2016. Please, somebody release a canister of mustard gas in here. <laughs> when um, will Ross come back from New York? Soon enough, apparently. All right. Will Dan Patrick run for governor? No. No? Right, we just know. asked. Did they <laughs> <laughs> All, right. all right. It's a repeat of the 2015 predictions. All right. That's all the time we have. Evan needs to go get his haircut. Uh, if you have questions it's or comments about his 2016 haircut, you can make recommendations for 2017. Uh, thanks to Shiny Ribs, as always, for doing our music. And on behalf of uh, Evan, Patrick, Amon, our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. About Texas talking, baby. Texas talking. Texas talking, baby. Texas talking. I also don't eat believe in breakfast. Evan, it's amazing that you're still alive. <laughs>